This message is brought to you by the CD and Internet Ministry of Rancho Baptist Church in Temecula, California. This message was recorded during our regular Sunday morning service times. Today we get to hear from our children's pastor, Pastor Nathan Reen, as he brings to us the message from Psalm 78, verses 1 through 8, and the importance of communicating God's goodness to our children. Let's join Nathan now as he brings us the message. No clapping, please. <laughs> How many of you guys read my newsletter in March? Every every month we get a everybody get raise hands again. I, I saw two, three. Great, same as first service. Two or three. Great, because we're going to review that. And then I was hoping to watch everybody's going to raise their hand. It's going to be horrible, but uh, no one reads those things. So, just kidding, just kidding. Um, in the newsletter, I did a book review on. This little book, it only took me two weeks to read it, God's Grand Vision for the Home by Dr. Rob Renown. Like I need vision problems. So it's super easy. Look how tiny this thing is. A couple hours. Everybody can read this. You can get these through Awana. And uh, I said on my newsletter, hey, if I get 25 people or more, we'll order some. And I got three. So you have to get your own. So I did a book review on it. And uh, it had some really good questions. It made me think of some verses a little differently. And uh, the guy really has a heart for families. And the whole time I kept looking at the front cover to see if I wrote it because it was like everything I was thinking, everything I was feeling, everything I'd been preaching about for the last few years. So he starts out with a couple questions. How can I know if I'm doing the right things as a parent? Right? And the next one is, uh, what is the definition of success in parenting? Those are good questions, right? Hopefully you guys think about these from time to time. And we're always evaluating our role as parents on a regular basis, I hope. Um, what worked last year might not work today. You know, what worked at my house yesterday is not going to work today. So I'm constantly reevaluating things because raising kids is super hard, right? That's like the hardest thing I've ever had to do, and it's got a long way to go. So, um, but it's exciting also. So, um, I want us all to be on track with the Lord. I want us to get this right, being parents, because we can't mess this up. We don't want to mess this up. It's the last thing I want to mess up. I'll mess up my finances, I'll mess up this, I'll mess up that, but I don't want to mess up being a a great dad and a great husband. So, if you ask children today, or maybe somebody asked you when you were a kid, what do you want to be when you grow up? What are some of their answers? Construction, truck driver, fireman, policeman, right? All these things. I hear all these different things. Most kids think of an occupation. We're geared to think of an occupation. And uh, I want to get them out of that mindset into something else. I'm not super concerned with what uh, they do for money. But uh, occupations are the first to come to mind. When your children leave your home someday, which one of the following attributes would you want most for, your, for them? A, to be successful academically, to be successful athletically, to be successful socially, or D, to be a person of faith and character. D, right? Sitting in church. No one's going to raise their hand. All of the above, Jim said. Yes. Yes. That was actually in the book. It says, I know, I know. E, all of the above. But uh, D, right? We're sitting in church. We want D. Let's change the question a little bit. See if this is true. Which of the following parenting issues gets the best of your time, effort, money, anxiety, and planning? A, academics, B, athletics, C, a social life, 
or faith and character development. If you were to rank these according to, again, taking into consideration your time, your money, your effort that goes into each one of these, how would they rank? You know, do that in your own head. Don't raise your hand. So, think about it. I mean, it's good to be smart. I want my kids to be super smart. I want them to be athletic. I want them to have friends. It just becomes bad when those things consume us, right? When that's all we think about. And when I was the a youth pastor in North Carolina at a small church, it was super fresh. It would make me super frustrated when parents would drive their kids to Tennessee for a basketball tournament, but I couldn't get their kids there on a Wednesday night, you know. And so that's, that began my hatred for uh, sports. And uh, ever since then, it's been more and more, and I see it that trend over and over again. And uh, kids can play sports; just you know, take it easy. <laughs> So, uh, back to the definition again of successful parenting. Um, we can look at it two ways. In the book, they define it like this. Successful parenting is helping our children become what they want to be. That's the American dream, right? We want our kids. What do you want to be when you grow up? I want to be a fireman. Okay, let's work towards that. I want to be a police officer. Let's work towards that. I mean, people from all over the world come to America so that their kids can have a better future, right? So they're not stuck in a factory or, hey, you're going to be a farmer. I don't like farming. It doesn't matter. So, people come there and... I think most families fall into this category, Christians and non-Christians. So, it's not a bad thing. But I think a biblical worldview of successful parenting is going to be a little different than the world's because a biblical worldview is going to focus more on who? The Lord, right? God. So our definition should be more like this. Successful parenting is helping our kids be what God wants them to be. Someone back there said it. So, yes. What does God want you to be? So now when I ask kids... What do you want to be when you grow up? And they tell me a fireman, a policeman. I say, well, I want you to be a man of God or I want you to be a woman of God and then go off and be a policeman or a fireman for the Lord or whatever. So um, if this is our definition, then our priorities will fall in line with it. I'm trying really hard, like I was saying earlier, not to be concerned with what they do for money, but I really want to be concerned with the relationship with the Lord and how they view this world. How they Can they discern between good and evil, right and wrong, lies from truth, you know, God has given us his word to help us with raising of our kids. And he tells us what our priority should be. And we don't have to guess. It can be the same for everybody. Matthew 22, 35-38. And one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And he said to them, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. How many of you guys have heard that before? Right? That's, we know that's the great commandment. We forget, and I've heard, I'm sure you've heard great sermons on it and everything else. And the second is like it. You shall love the neighbor as yourself. Jesus was quoting Deuteronomy 6, verse 5 here. And you can't talk about God's plan for the home without Deuteronomy chapter 6. So, and it's always been God's plan for us to love him with everything that we are. If this is our goal, to love God with everything, then we should be constantly working towards that goal. Changing things and then our priorities will fall on the line. Because I know if my children are focused on loving the Lord with everything, I won't have to worry about them living in sin because they'll have such a broken heart over their sin. They're going to be quick to confess their sin. They're going to be quick to repent. They're going to be quick to run to the Lord's word to see what he has to say. And they're not going to lean on their own understanding. I want them to hunger and thirst for righteousness because the Bible says that's the only way that we're going to be satisfied. So, so how do we do that? Deuteronomy 6, 4-7. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. 
You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. And you shall teach them diligently to your children. You shall teach them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise. These words that I command you today shall be on your hearts. The commands of the Lord have to be on our own hearts before we can successfully teach them to our kids, right? We have to be fully convinced and working towards this goal as well. Um, Hopefully you're a lot farther along down the road with your walk with the Lord than your kids are, but not always the case. Sometimes a high schooler gets saved and then his family gets saved later. You know, but hopefully parents will catch up, get ahead of them, and start teaching their kids these things, right? So, you shall teach them diligently to your children. And the Lord gives us four opportunities to do this. You shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise. So how are we going to do it? Right here, talk to them. Talk to them, talk to them, talk to them, talk to them, talk to them. It didn't say yell at them. Like my house. I'm like, tone it down. Stop yelling. So I'm telling myself that all the time. It seems like kids only listen when you yell. That's a different issue. (laughs) So, and then he gives us four prime times to do this. Maybe these are the softest times of our child's heart. Maybe, you know, there's some insight here. And I've seen this in my own personal life where these can be some prime opportunities. I used to always teach this verse that it's, you know, from morning till night, in the house and out of the house. So you're supposed to talk all the time, but it... Let's, uh, book gave me a new look on it. So, number one, when you sit in the house, and I know that all of you guys have the routine where you sit in your house with no distractions and you talk about the Lord for hours and hours and hours. So if you, you know, those of you guys that aren't doing that, this is a great opportunity. You have to have some sit time, sit down time with your kids with no distractions, okay? That's a prime opportunity. How long this lasts is up to you. Right now it lasts about eight minutes and they're gone again, so. When you walk by the way, we don't walk anywhere anymore. We drive everything, right? Or we get a Segway or a scooter or a bike or whatever. But transitions times here, right? How many of you guys have transition time? Right? Driving to school, driving to soccer, driving to baseball. Gene and I were looking at a van a couple months ago, Honda Odyssey. I think it was like an 07 or something. It had 250,000 miles on it. I'm like, whoa, that's a lot of miles. And he said it was a soccer mom that had this. You know, she was running the kids every which way. 250,000 miles. In just a few years. So there's tons of transition time um, all over the place. Number three, when you lie down, we have to establish some kind of bedtime routine with our kids. You know, they, that's like the number one problem with uh, disobedient children. They won't want to go to bed. They don't want to go to bed. They don't want to go to bed. A lot of times putting Shane and James to bed is a, a challenge, you know, so we'll talk. And they'll want to talk because they don't want to go to bed. So they take the opportunity right there to talk to them about the Lord. Now, number four, when you rise. We have to establish some kind of breakfast routine or maybe a verse of the day or, or something like that. And could you imagine a day like this where you were to fit all these things into one day? You know, Maybe something like the kids get up for school and they see a verse on the fridge that dad posted because he left two hours ago while they were sleeping. right? And then they discuss that verse with their mom on the way to school. Then dad comes home that evening and everyone sits around the table a little bit after dinner, reads some scripture, maybe come up with a new verse for tomorrow. And then just before bed, mom and dad visit each child, pray with them, tuck them in. That could happen, right? That's not impossible. We could do this. This is, you know, not going to kill your TV time, I guess. But uh, make them go to bed at 7.30. Yeah, right. 
Um, I think that'd be a great day. And the only way this is, will happen long term, you guys might go home and try it. Okay, great. We're going to read the Bible for three hours in the morning before school. And we're going to go off and do this. We're going to memorize 15 scriptures a week and, and all that. Whoa, you know, you're not going to be able to do that. So start small. You can do it. And the only way this is going to happen long term is if the parents are seeking to love the Lord with all that they are, right? At first establishing it in their hearts. If we try to do this in our own strength, if we try just to add this to some kind of discipline routine, it won't, it won't be very successful. But if you love the Lord and are compelled by your love for Him, you're going to have success with this. Because no one has to remind you to do the things you love, right? If you love something, I mean, you're rearranging your schedule, you're saving money for it, you're making it happen, right? Because you love it. No one has to remind you about that stuff. I never have to remind the boys or beg them to ride their bikes to the park. You know, they're always constantly on their bikes. Let's go to the park, let's go to the park, let's go to the park. They love riding their bikes at the park. So the battle is going home, right? So why is this so hard? Why isn't every day like this? I think um, Psalm 78, if everybody can turn there to Psalm 78. Wait on you. <laughs> yes, Psalm 78. Just kidding. A mascal of Asaph. Give ear, O people, O my people, to my teaching. Incline your ears to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings from of old. Things that we have heard and known that our fathers have told us. We will not hide them from their children, but tell to the generation, to the coming generation the glorious deeds of the Lord and his might, and the wonders that he has done. He established a testimony in Jacob, and appointed a law in Israel, which he commanded our fathers to teach to their children, and that the next generation might know them, the children yet unborn, and arise and tell them to their children, so that they should set their hope in God, and not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments. And that they should not be like their fathers, a stubborn and rebellious generation, a generation whose heart was not steadfast, whose spirit was not faithful to God. Let's go back up to verse 1. We're going to break this down. This is not part of the psalm countdown that Pastor Matt's doing. I asked him, like, are you doing 78? He's like, no, no one ever picks Psalm 78 because it's <laughs> humongous. So, a mascal. Does anybody know what a mascal is? That's one for the, different, for the dictionary. A skillful psalm. Um, Asaph was one of David's chief musicians, and he wrote some other psalms too. Verse 1 here, he says, Give ear, O my people, to my teaching. Incline or stretch out your ears to the words of my mouth. Literally, he's saying, My people, hear my instruction. Listen to what I have to say. Just like in Deuteronomy when, when uh, 6.4, where Moses is saying, Hear, O Israel. You know, pay attention. Listen up. Truly, truly. Barely, barely. Verse 2. I will open my mouth in a parable or instructions by numerous examples. Earthly stories with a heavenly meaning. Or, I will declare wise sayings. I will utter dark sayings of old. Or, speak of mysteries from the past. And this mysteries of the past. We have to know our history, right? 1 Corinthians chapter 10, 11-12. Now these things happened to them as an example. But they were written down for our instructions, on whom the end of the ages has come. Therefore, let everyone who thinks that he stands take heed 
least he fall. So all these things, whole testament, are examples for us to learn from. And Asaph here is trying to warn all his people about things. What's that little saying about history? You know, history is going to repeat itself, right? I found another quote about history. This German philosopher said that the one thing that we learn from history is that we don't learn from history. <laughs> I thought that was a better one. So, if you study, when you study the Bible, and you look through church history and the history of Israel, you discover that God's people make the same mistakes. As Asaph reviewed in the history of his people, he saw the sad record of forgetfulness, faithlessness, foolishness, and failure. Over and over and over again, right? Read the book of Judges. So we had better pay careful attention, like he said in verse 1, so that the Bible, see what the Bible has to say, so we don't fall into the same pattern of forgetfulness, faithfulness, faithlessness, foolishness, and failure. Verse 3, which we have heard and known. The word known there is observed. We have to do some research. We have to study. We can't trust everything on Discovery Channel and the History Channel. You ever notice that? seems like they're right about everything until they do some biblical show. And then I'm like, what? Jesus didn't have a wife? Constantly. It always bugs me. Every day. <laughs> I always think about that. Um, we have to do some research. We have to study. And our fathers have told us, or things that have been passed down, right? Fathers have told us. When I was studying Psalm 78 um, a couple of weeks ago at the Men's Gateway with God up at the Plateau, we had a few hours, and I started looking over at 78, and I got stuck right here on this phrase, fathers that told us. And I started looking back at, at my life and, and uh, because I was not raised in a Christian home, I tried to think of any biblical wisdom that my father had passed down to me, but he left when I was three or four. And my mom married a Vietnam vet who drank himself to death when I was 12 years old. And then my mom was off doing her own thing, so I got shipped off to my grandparents. I think the only thing I learned from my stepdad was how to be invisible and stay away from him. So then I got shipped off to my grandparents who were wise and they spoke some um, worldly, earthly wisdom into my life, but they were Mormon and had me baptized into the Mormon church when I was 16 because I was starting to get in trouble. So a little religion's going to be good for Nathan, you know, but it didn't work because I was still a slave to sin. I was still out doing all kinds of horrible things all the time. And in my senior year, I got super sick with uh, bronchitis and pneumonia. And I brought it home and I gave it to my grandfather and then a week later in the hospital, he died from pneumonia. In the hospital, so that that was my wake up call. That was, you know, I think when the Lord really grabbed me and made me realize that my sin is affecting my whole family and everything around me. You know, I didn't even end up graduating high school on time because I'd missed so much schools. I had to finish up that summer, and then shortly after that, I knew that I was an enemy of God. I knew that I had, you know, broken His commandments. If Ray Comfort would have walked up to me on the street and said, "Hey, would you consider yourself to be a good person?" I would have said, "No, I'm horrible. You know, I know I'm bad." I know I'm bound for hell. So there was no self-righteousness or anything there. I knew I was, I was bad, especially after what happened to my grandfather. And then, uh, so I just jumped headfirst into Mormonism because it was the only true church. That's what they told me over and over again for those few years. I was doing everything they wanted me to do, hanging out with the missionaries, going here, going there, can drives, fasting, everything. And then I met a girl a couple months before my going on my mission, and she challenged my Mormon faith. And I thought it was good practice because I was getting ready to go on my mission. And we battled back and forth, back and forth, back and forth for a couple of months. But she was a, a little Italian girl. And uh, she was strong in her ways. And uh, she kept showing me more and more stuff. I was hanging out with kids at Biola. 
because our number one target group was born-again Christians who have some of the truth but not all of the truth. So I was sneaking into Biola, taking classes to find out what the born-againers believe because I, I lived just a few blocks from uh, Biola. And so I was hanging out with them and finally after those months of praying and seeking because I wanted to know God. I wanted to be his best friend. I knew that my past life was horrible. I wanted to know God with everything. And uh, so after a couple months of that, just before my 20th birthday, I went to the Harvest Crusade with this girl and her friends. I even brought some neighborhood kids and to go up there and do my public um, step of faith and confess and everything like that right there at the, at the Harvest Crusade. And then six years later, I married her. And now we have kids and she's still strong-willed. <laughs> which is good because I need it. But as soon as I came to know the real truth from asking and seeking and knocking and the Lord revealing himself to me, um, I jumped in big time to our new church. I was um, ushering three services a week. I helped out with the junior high and high school camps. I, whatever they wanted me to do. They hired me as a custodian there. I didn't care what I did as long as I was around God's people. And I was at church all the time. I loved it. I was super grateful that all my sins were forgiven and I get to go to heaven now because of what Jesus did for me. And uh, I couldn't express that gratitude enough. Then our college pastor, Pastor Kerry, who was the um, youth pastor here before Jason, who was before Shane, so a couple of youth pastors ago, he invited me to go on a father-son camp out with them. It was their first camp out. It was up in the mountains. He said, hey, you want to help cook and set up and all that? And I said, sure, great. So we went there, and it was Friday night. And Saturday morning, we were setting up a bunch of games for the kids. And I remember this kid came up to me, like tugged on my shirt, and I bent down. And he's like, hey, where's your dad? And I looked at him and I, I said, I don't have a dad. And I turned around, I walked away, and then right then, um, that was the first thing that came to my mouth, you know, I don't have a dad. Crystal clear, I heard the Lord say, I'm your dad. And I think that's when it really clicked for me, and uh, I knew, you know, that I had been bought, that I'm his, that I'm a son of God now. And uh, ever since then, I've just been doing all kinds of things for the Lord because I'm super grateful. Because my earthly fathers, stepdads, dads, grandparents, they dropped the ball on passing down godly wisdom to me. But uh, my father, who's in heaven, he didn't drop the ball, did he? No, he's given us his word. We know what we're supposed to do. We know what he likes and what he doesn't like. I didn't have the benefit of being raised in a Christian home, but my kids do. And, uh, and I want to take that seriously. And I hope that you guys take it seriously. You know, how many of you guys were raised in a Christian home? Raise your hand. Awesome. How many of you guys are like second, third generation Christians? Good. How many of you guys were not raised in a Christian home? Most of us, right? So we have the opportunity here to make this a reality. He's given us the times and when to do it, how to do it. We're going to talk a little more about that as we continue to go through Psalm 78. Verse 4. We will not hide them from their children, but we will tell the generation to come the praiseworthy deeds of the Lord and His might and the wonderful works that He has performed. We must not, is the literal here. We must not. This is a warning. It's a command. Um, We can't hide them. We can't hide the wonderful things that he's done. We can't hide the things we've heard. We can't hide the things we have observed. We can't hide his might or the wonderful works he has performed. We can't have some kind of secret relationship with the Lord that our kids don't know anything about. They need to see dad struggle. They need to see mom struggle. They need to see them overcome and humble themselves when the time's necessary. Um, And the rest of the chapter here in verse 78 goes over a huge chunk of Israel's history. Asaph reminds them of all the, these things, the glorious deeds of the Lord, the praiseworthy deeds, his might, and the wonders he has done. I mean, the Bible is full of these things. How many of you guys journal? 
Like you write down you know, your prayers and passages and the things the Lord's showing you and good a few of you guys, right? I'm not talking about a diary where girls just write their name and then they write the last name of some cute boy in their class over and over and over and over and over again. And you flip the page, it's a new guy, it's another guy. <laughs> I've seen those journals. That's not a journal, okay? I've tried so hard ever since I've been a Christian to keep a good journal. I know it's a good thing to do. And uh, it seems like every year I get a new journal around January. I'm going to do it this year. I write in a couple times. I have a good time, quiet times with the Lord. I write down prayers and thank you, Lord, for this and count my blessings and pray for my family. And I do it for a couple of days. Then I miss a couple of days. And then I find it nine months later under the seat of my car with five or six journal entries in it. You know, I have tons and tons of these things. All blank pages except for the first part. So, But I think that I'm going to be a little more intentional with it because last week, last Saturday, we went to the funeral for Brent Yim next door. And like Pastor Matt was sharing last week, when they started showing the pictures of his family and his wife and his kids, um, two years old and five years old, I felt so bad for the kids that they're not going to remember their dad. And I know they record his sermons over there, video and uh, audio, so they'll get to listen to those. But towards the end of the funeral, his wife got up and shared of how much Brent loved to journal and that how he has hundreds of journals filled with stuff of all his quiet times with the Lord and all the things that he struggled with and the things that he's overcome and his prayer requests and all these different things. And I thought, wow, what a great thing for those kids to have later, you know. The sermons are going to be great. The video sermons are going to be great to see their dad, but those, those diaries, those journals are going to be the best. So, so that kind of motivated me even more to, to be serious about uh, journaling because we can't forget these things. She's even thinking about having them published someday, so you guys can pray for her for that. I think it would be very encouraging. I think there was over 1,100 people at the funeral last week. So those boys will get to read all the praiseworthy deeds, all the glorious deeds, all the might that the Lord has worked in their father's life. So, And the Lord has preserved a record for us too, hasn't he? So we need to preserve a record. It would be great for your kids to have 20 years from now your journals. I was talking about Pastor Matt about this. He's like, I don't know if I want people to have my journals. I don't want my girls reading some of that stuff. So maybe have a secret one. I don't know. <laughs> I have two journals. Um, Psalm 78.5. He established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel which he commanded our fathers to teach their, to their children. He, God, established. That means he put it in first place. He made it good. His testimony or witness or evidence. His law, also called a testimony, because it is a witness between God and men, declaring the duties which God expects from man and the blessings which man may accept, expect from God. I mean, as you guys read your Bibles, especially in Genesis, you see how involved God has been all along from the fall, from the creation to the fall, the Tower of Babel, the flood, all these things. And then right off the bat, chapter 12, God picks a man who he's going to pour out these things to, who's going to set apart a people for himself to bless, to show the wonderful things that he's going to do. The Creator interacting with his creation, right? To show these people his glorious deeds, his might, and the wonders he has done. And I'm pretty sure that Abraham told his son Isaac, and Isaac told Jacob, and Jacob told his sons, and so on, and so on, and so on, and so on. Uh, he commanded our fathers to teach their children. Fathers are to lead the family, right? It's not that fathers are better than mothers or anything like that, but God has established a rank structure. So fathers are to lead the family. 
not mothers, not grandparents, and especially not the kids. Maybe you guys have been at the mall or a store and you see who runs the show with these little kids, huh? That's, that's horrible. That's uh, not good. So when family, when the family is functioning the way God intended, it's a beautiful thing. Families can be strong. They can overcome all these different things, right? But when the family is dysfunctional and the roles are all messed up and people are doing whatever they want to, chaos, confusion, conflict, and all sorts of ugly things happen. I think that's why the enemy focuses so much on destroying the family and tearing it up. Because he knows that a family that's totally united, that's seeking him with everything they have, is going to be a threat. They're going to be overcomers. They're going to be more than conquerors. They're going to do awesome things to the Lord. But he wants to get in there and divide and conquer and all that other stuff. So maybe something has happened to your family and it doesn't fit the ideal situation. Okay, don't worry. The Lord will provide. There's lots of families in the Bible that didn't have the ideal situation. Dad was gone. This happened. That happened. As you read through the Bible, you'll see lots of messed up families. And let's be honest, we're all dysfunctional, right? No one has the perfect family. I've done everything perfect and everybody's done everything perfect all the time. No, we're all dysfunctional. We've all sinned and fallen short of God's perfect standard. So whatever's happened in the past that knocked you off track, don't give up. It's not too late. You can start over. I had somebody shake my hand after first service and say, oh, my kids are like 60. I'm like, it's not too late. You know, he's still alive. You can talk to him. You know, you can give him encouraging things, give him some biblical wisdom. So it's never too late. Um, Verse 6, so that the generation, it's important to get back on track, so that the next generation might know them, the children yet unborn, and arise and tell it to their children. Psalm 71, and there was tons of verses on passing it down from generation to generation. We've been told this over and over again. So even to old age and gray hairs, O oh God, do not forsake me until I proclaim your might to another generation, your power to all those to, to come. Psalm 79:13. But we, your people, the sheep of your pasture, will give thanks to you forever. From generation to generation, we will recount your praises. Um, Psalm 102:18. Let this be recorded for the generation to come so that the people yet to be created they praise the Lord. A couple more here. Psalm 145, 4. One generation shall commend your works to another. You shall declare your mighty acts. And then Deuteronomy 4, 9. Only take care. Keep your soul diligently. At least you forget the things that your eyes have seen. And least they depart from you, from your heart, all the days of your life. Make them known to your children and to your children's children. So grandparents, are you off the hook? Nope. What's the purpose of all this? Why do we need to continue to pass these things down? Verse 7 gives us the warning here. So that they should set their hope in God and not forget the works of God, but keep His commands. We want our children to set their hope, their confidence, and trust in God, right? You guys all said D, right? And not forget. And the definition forget here was a harsh one. It says, or live as though God did not exist. When we forget the Lord we will soon find ourselves living as though he did not exist. We're doing all kinds of things we never thought we would do. And it's amazing how fast we fall. I counted over 50 reminders in the Bible warning us not to forget the Lord or the things that he has done. That's like one a week, right? And I got to thinking that's probably why the Lord wanted to establish a Sabbath day so that we can remember him, focus on him one day a week and rest in him, right? And I was counting all these verses. I got to thinking, I'm like, why does the Lord have to remind us so much? Why all this reminding? Remind, 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 remind. I started thinking, Gina, you can ask Gina. She only has to tell us one time. And we get it. Me and the boys. We never forget. 
We take care of it all the time, and she never has to remind us. Amen. Just tell me once. I don't forget. Yeah, right, huh? We forget everything, unless it's something we want to do, or unless somebody hurts us, right? And we remember that forever. So, verse 8. And that they should not be like their fathers, a stubborn and rebellious generation, a generation whose heart was not steadfast, whose spirit was not faithful to God. We need to learn from the mistakes of others, just like Asaph here is warning us, just like the Bible warns us over and over and over again and remembers us. We can't be like those in the wilderness who saw the great, mighty things the Lord has done and they complained. Right? You guys ever read through there and get so super frustrated? I'm like, they just walked through the Red Sea and they're complaining a chapter later? You know, God's dropping manna from heaven, dove, I mean, uh, quail, water out of the rocks, all kinds of things, providing for millions of people in the desert, and they complain, and they complain. I can't believe they're worshiping idols again. Look what they're doing. I can't believe, I would never do that. Israelites are so dumb, right? (laughs) I mean, you read that, but just like I said in 1 Corinthians 10, therefore, let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed, lest he fall. We have to pay careful attention to ourselves, right? We have to heed the warning here because we think, hey, we got everything together and who knows. If we do that, we don't, well, uh, sorry. We do that too. The Lord shows us something and we blow it. The Lord walks us through something and we blow it. He provides for us and then we doubt. You know, over and over again. We do the same thing as Israelites do. But still, I mean, if you walk through the Red Sea, and you... <laughs> how do you forget that? It's awesome. They were stubborn and rebellious. And the definition for that is they turned from God and resisted Him. They turned from God and resisted Him. That's the exact opposite of drawing near and submitting, right? We're to draw near to God. We're to submit to Him. And why did they turn away? Because their hearts were not steadfast. They were not loyal. They were not sold out for the Lord. And whose spirit was not faithful to God. The rational person inside that makes the decisions was not faithful to God. Deuteronomy 6. Um, And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. They have to be on our hearts. We have to have a good hold on them before we can teach them to our kids. Psalm 51, 6. Behold, you delight in truth in the inward being. You teach me truth in the wisdom, wisdom in the secret heart. You might look committed on the outside to the Lord. Everybody thinks you have it together. But if you're not committed on the inside, it's only a matter of time before what's on the inside comes out, right? Your discipline will take you so far. And as some of you guys are more disciplined than others. And you have your checklist and your to-do lists. But if you don't love to do it, you're going to fall short. And the Bible tells us over and over again for us to examine ourselves. This is probably the number one verse I share with, with kids and, and people. And it's posted up in my office. Psalm 139, 23, and 24. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. And see if there is any wicked way in me and lead me in the way of everlasting. Constantly, we have to ask the Lord to search our hearts, search our hearts, search our hearts. Show me if there's anything I'm doing that's wrong. Show me those areas that are tripping me up. Show me those areas that I'm falling short. And the Lord has given us His book, His word, so that we can carefully determine what pleases the Lord. And we have to be mindful of Him. I think the one, and one reason, it says in uh, Malachi, Malachi, one of the reasons he brought us together as a couple is to raise up godly offspring so that they will do the same, so they will do the same, so they will do the same. And we have to be faithful to this. We're commanded to do this. Okay? One last question here. 
if your children grow up to the same level of spiritual maturity that you are today, would you be pleased with that? I know what some of you guys are thinking. You're like, man, if my kids were half the spiritual giant (laughs) that I am, they would be way better off than most people. No, I hope that all of us are hungering, thirsting for a better relationship with the Lord. That we're hungering and thirsting for righteousness. And that you never give up on your walk with the Lord. And you seek His face until the day He comes to get you. So, ask the Lord, guys. Have Him search your heart. Take these things seriously. Your kids are in a Christian home right now, I hope. If you haven't put your faith in Jesus Christ as your Savior, do that. We're going to have people up here available right after the service. Talk to them. Ask questions. You got to get this right. We can't mess this up. You can mess up your finances. You can mess up this. You can mess up your water pipes at your house. You can mess up on lots of things, but don't mess up on being a good dad, a good mom, seeking the Lord, pointing your kids to Jesus. It's like Pastor Matt was praying for the husbands. Mike, you can go to man camp for free. Okay, get signed up. Four girls. (laughs) You can organize man camp next year. So... Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much, Lord, for being so patient with us. Lord, for your tender mercies that are new each and every day. I pray, Lord, that we would get things right, Lord, with you. That you would continue to search our hearts. That you would show us those things, Lord, those areas that you hate, Lord, those those areas that we're holding on to, Lord, any idols or any sin in our lives, Lord. Please expose those. Father, help us to be right with you. Help us to uh, firmly establish you in our hearts so that we can teach these things to our children. Give us patience with our children, Lord. Give us new, exciting ideas to uh, reach them. Father, and I just pray, Lord, that they would see you in us. In the good times and the bad, Lord, I pray that we would humble ourselves quickly, Lord, and that uh, you would be glorified in all that we do. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, thanks for being with us today. It's always a pleasure to serve you with this CD ministry. Here at Rancho Baptist Church, our mission is to glorify God by making disciples who love God, love others, and live to reach their world for Christ. And if you have any questions regarding this sermon, or just perhaps knowing God in a deeper way, don't hesitate to give us a call. Our phone number is area code 951-676-2911. Or you can reach us on the web at www.ranchobaptistchurch.org. That's www.ranchobaptistchurch.org. Have a great day in the Lord, and God bless you as you continue to walk with Him.